people of God had been in exile, they're coming home to Jerusalem. They see the steps leading into the temple, and as they ascend each one, they pray and give praise to God. They teach us how to pray and praise God in difficult times. Join us for this series every Wednesday night, 6 o'clock. Good evening, everybody. It is my joy and privilege to join you again for our Wednesday night Bible study as we make our way through the Psalms of Ascent. We are tonight in Psalm 125. Let me remind you that this will be our last study for this year. We will take time off to celebrate with our families the Christmas holidays, Christmas, of course, next week, and if the weather permits, we will have an outdoor Christmas Eve candlelight communion service at 5.30. If you're able to join us just by driving over to the grassy lot near the church, we would love to have you. You can park your car either alongside the grassy lot or we can get you inside the lot. We have a limited number of spaces for cars to park inside the lot. We will have it so you can tuned to a number on your radio dial, and uh, you can join us in the communion service, in the worship time. We would love for you to come. If you're able uh, to come and get out of your car and bring your lawn chair, folding chair, and join us on the grassy lawn. Pray with us for wonderful weather, no rain, a nice day. Uh, that would uh, be a wonderful gift from God to us to be able to enjoy together what really is one of my favorite services of the year. This has been, for all of us, a different kind of Advent and Christmas season. Uh, every year uh, during the Advent and Christmas season, there are just things that make Christmas for me. Uh, being able to go to the Operation Christmas Child Warehouse and be there to handle those boxes that are literally going all over the world. I look forward to that every year. Being able to enjoy our festival of lessons and carols, it really is a highlight of my year. And every year when our wonderful music minister, Gene Bearfield, asked me if maybe we should do something different, I always say no. It, it is such a beautiful service, the inter weaving of the reading of the Bible and the singing of these marvelous songs, then getting each year to go into the homes of our shut-ins. Uh, those numbers have not uh, increased over the years for various reasons, but they have decreased, and this year, I just simply with COVID-19 and all that's involved, can't do that, and it breaks my heart not to be able to do that this year. It's such a wonderful part of my own Christmas celebration. And then the Christmas Eve candlelight communion. Anne knows and our children going up in our home have known through the years that when that service is over, I have had, to my delight, every year, the best Christmas I could have, getting to be able to do those things so that anything after that is just really... Uh, above and beyond, because those things make my Christmas. But Christmas is Christmas, and we celebrate 
the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. And we anticipate one day in his own time, his glorious return. So we would love to have you join us for Christmas Eve candlelight communion, weather permitting. Pay attention to our e-news site as we send out e-news through uh, our website. And if you get that, and we hope you do, then we will uh, post uh, by uh, at least by noon on Christmas Eve if, in fact, the weather turns sour and we're not able to do that. Psalm 125 tonight, I want you to think with me about the theme of this psalm, assurance and warning. Assurance and warning. Let me read this psalm for us. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evil doers. Peace be upon Israel. Would you pray with me as we prepare our hearts to listen to God's word? We are often puzzled by the interweaving of words of assurance with words of warning. We wonder why they are interlocked in so much of the Bible and For whom are these warnings intended? And why are they there? So God, as we open your word tonight at Psalm 125, we pray that you would speak through your word those wonderful words of assurance and help us to understand why it is that we as your people need these words of warning. Teach us, O God, by your spirit, your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. This psalm is, I believe, deliberately, intentionally designed by God to instill confidence in his people. He gives it to us to give us assurance about who our God is and what he gives to us. And yet in the midst of this psalm that is designed by God to instill confidence within us as his people, there is this clear note of warning. What is here in this psalm, this interweaving of words of assurance with a word of 
warning is not uncommon in Scripture. In fact, it is found with precise particularity and somewhat pervasive in the New Testament book of Hebrews. When the Bible and its canonical form, that is the form in which we have it, the 66 books of the Bible, was uh, being assessed by the early church, one of the uh, books that had the most problem being accepted was the book of Hebrews. And the reason the book of Hebrews had such trouble being accepted was precisely because in the midst of the book of Hebrews where there are so many words that are intended to instill confidence in the children of God, there are those passages that are very clearly passages that present a very clear word of warning. For example, you may want to turn here with me, Hebrews chapter 3. There is encouragement here to the people of God to receive and to enter into what the writer calls the rest of God. Uh, this sense of security that God gives for us as his people. But then in the midst of that, in verse 12, chapter 3, the writer White writes, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. So exhort one another every day, as long as, as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So he's encouraging them in the gift of God's rest that he gives to the souls and minds and hearts and lives of those who are his, who are his and in the midst of that, he presents this warning. The most notorious of these, you may know, is in Hebrews 6. Hebrews 6 stands out in the midst of history as that chapter in the book of Hebrews that caused many people, even up through the days of the Reformation, to say, this book doesn't belong in the Bible because it contains such a clear warning. Listen to what it says. Chapter 6, verse 4, it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Now you turn over to chapter 6, verse 9, and the writer says this, though we speak in this way, though we give you this warning, and the warning is clear and concise, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things that belong to salvation. Now, it's throughout the book of Hebrews, but it's all throughout the Bible where God is speaking, and most scholars believe, and I concur, that he's speaking to his people. 
The Bible is written for the people of God. God gives the Bible by way of the Holy Spirit to those who know him because the only way that we ever have any hope of understanding the Bible is through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and lives. Those who are not believers do not understand the Bible, cannot comprehend its truth. Those who are not believers, when the Bible is read to them or when they read the Bible, God has designed his word so that the only thing they can hear and the only thing they can see is the truth that they're sinners and they need to be saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. There are plenty of people who've been saved by reading the Bible, picking up a Gideon's Bible in a motel room. You've heard those stories and they're marvelously life-changing stories that God used his word as the sword it is to penetrate their hearts to bring them to faith in Jesus. But in terms of understanding anything beyond that, what is required is the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. So Hebrews is written to believers. The Psalms are written to believers. And these warnings are given to believers in the midst of assurance. So what is the assurance that God gives us in Psalm 125? And why is it that we need the warning that comes at the end? John Calvin says, and I quote, However vigorous then the fear of God may be in our own hearts, let us remember that we are not endowed with adequate strength for enduring to the end unless the Lord have a regard for our infirmity. End quote. We are flawed now, and we will be flawed on the last day. We fall short of the glory of God now. We will fall short of the glory of God on the last day. We fail in being faithful now. We will fail in being faithful on the last day. In the midst of who we are as the people of God, by the grace of God, we need to hear words of assurance, lest we tie who we are in terms of being the children of God to what we do because what we do always falls short. But in the midst of those words of assurance, one of the greatest temptations of our enemy is for us to presume upon the goodness of God. Oh, I'm saved. I know the Lord. So I fall short, so I fail, so I fall down along the way. No, the warnings are needed, lest we take for granted the goodness of the grace of God. And we really need the warnings, because we're a part of a culture that has concocted, and I use that word deliberately, concocted 
a way of people coming to Jesus that is so far removed from what the Bible teaches that people walk around all the time saying, I'm a Christian, I know Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and their way of life betrays any relationship at all to Jesus as Lord. No, no, the warnings drive us back to the examination of our hearts before God, and the warnings call us to assess who we are in the light of what God has done for us in the grace of the gospel. The assurances that God gives us are real. What are they? Well, in this psalm, God gives us the assurance of stability. We have a sure place to stand upon the solid rock of the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 125, verse 1, those who trust in the Lord. Uh, the word trust here is, it, it is such a wonderful term. It, it means to have confidence in. And it means not only to have confidence in, but the verb form here is a verb form that communicates confidence that is growing in us. It doesn't diminish in us because we see and taste and understand and comprehend something of the goodness of God. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. Uh, Mount Zion, the city of God, this, this symbol of the place of God's dwelling and wherever God dwells, there is stability, there is strength. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. Well, since we were in Hebrews just a few minutes ago, why don't we just flip back there? This time, let's go to Hebrews chapter 12, where in encouraging uh, people who were thinking about, under the force of persecution, turning away from God, the writer says to the Hebrews, in chapter 12, verse 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Do you hear in that verse the wonderful words of assurance and in the end, this word of warning right there in one verse. God has given us a kingdom that cannot be shaken, stability. But be careful. Our God is a consuming fire. Not only does God give us the assurance of stability, he gives us the assurance of safety. Now I want to say something here that I hope I can communicate rightly, and I hope you'll understand. The safety that God gives us is not the safety that is so much worshipped in our culture. We worship personal safety. 
Uh, we worship at the altar of making sure that everything goes well. And if it doesn't, then we, we might even blame God. Or at the very least, question God. I've had to think about this a lot lately because of last year having the joy of going to Liberia in the spring with Jerry Councilman, my friend and brother, and leading a conference there that frankly was one of the best experiences of my life in traveling to other places. And the encounter with all of those pastors who were there that were hungry and thirsty for the Word of God. And we are planning a conference this March to go back to Liberia and in the midst of COVID, you know what my thought is. Is it, is it safe? Now, there is a place, a rightful place for being wise and discerning. But if you live your life every day not taking risk, particularly risks that have to do with the gospel, risks that have to do with the advance of the kingdom of God, John Piper wrote a book called Risk is Right. We have created a, an idol, I think, out of safety, particularly as it relates to physical safety and relational safety and travel safety. And This is the safety that God gives us, the assurance. Verse 2 is, the mountains surround Jerusalem. So the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. The, the safety is God, God encircling us. God providing around us that, what we often call in our prayers, that hedge of protection. And doing it every day and forever. Uh, nothing can penetrate to where you are as you're held in the hands of God. Nothing can penetrate to where you are that God doesn't allow there. Uh, we can, with wisdom from God and led by His Spirit through His Word, we can take risk in lots of ways. There are places in the world that would have no witness to the gospel whatsoever if men and women had not taken risk. Think about those four men that made the journey to reach those unreached in Ecuador. What would have happened had they thought, it's not safe. <laughs> this is not a good risk. And yet there's a viable gospel witness and a thriving church in places like that because men risk their lives for the gospel. Now the safety here is the safety that is ours because we have the assurance of God providing for us and protecting us. And yet that protection according to Jesus, is tied to our going where he sends us and doing what he desires for us to do. 
When, when Jesus gave us the Great Commission and ends it with, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth, that is not a generic promise or a general premise. It is tied directly and concretely to what you and I call the Great Commission. As you're going about your daily life, wherever you are in the world, from Waynesboro to Wyoming, from Georgia in the States to Georgia in Eastern Europe, wherever you are, your goal in life is to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to know all things that Jesus has commanded us. And if we are doing that, that promise is real. Otherwise, God gives us the assurance of stability. God gives us the assurance of safety. God gives us not only the assurance of stability and safety, he gives us the assurance of security. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous. Uh, the, the scepter here is a symbol for the king. It represents regal authority. The scepter is lifted up. And when it's lifted up, that scepter signifies the king's rule over a region. The scepter, in this case, is the scepter of a wicked king who's out to walk in wicked ways and accomplish wicked goals. It shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Even in the midst of a world that is in ruin, even in the midst of a world that is increasingly captured by darkness, the kingdom of God is penetrating that darkness and the king of the universe rules over that darkness and the king will give security to his people. And he does that to protect us from the darkness of the world and the demonic forces that without his protection, we would be captured and controlled and compelled along our way by those forces of darkness. Don't ever say, no matter what your age is, no matter where you are in life, that I could never walk back into the way I once lived. I could never walk away from who I am in Christ. Yes, you could. That's how powerful our enemy is. That's how powerful the allurement and enticement of the desires of the flesh are. And yet God stands before his people. And he says, I will not let the scepter of wickedness rest on you. I, I, I know you. I, I know what you're capable of in terms of walking away from me. I will give you 
the security you need. And God gives you as his child tonight where you are. He gives you stability and he provides safety and he gives security to you. But then the psalm ends with reality. We are confronted with this contrast between the only two kinds of people that are in the world. I'm often amazed, uh, even astounded, about how many times the Psalms return to this theme of two kinds of people in the world. Uh, Those who belong to God and those who don't. Uh, The Bible doesn't know a middle ground between those two. In fact, the Bible doesn't know any kind of place to stand where those two would not be clearly recognizable. Those who belong to God, who are his people, those who don't. So this is what is the reality. Do good, O Lord. Remember good In the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, good is that which belongs exclusively to God. Any good that we do is because of God. Because God alone is good. So to pray, do good, O Lord, to those who are good, is to pray, do your good. You alone are good, O Lord, to those who are doing good, because of your being good and enabling them to do that which is good to those who are upright in their hearts, those who are righteous before you. Well, how do we get to be righteous before God? Not by doing good. We don't do good in order to be right with God. When we are made right with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, the outcome is that We do good, and the good that we do is not that which we determine to do. It is that which gives, which God gives us to do. The New Testament uh, way of relating this is the beautiful verses in Ephesians. For by grace we are saved through faith, and that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any of us should boast. For we, Ephesians 2.10, we are God's workmanship. We're the result, the word workmanship simply means we're the result of what God does. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Notice the order. We are made new by God through Christ, and the result of that is that we do good works, but we don't choose the good works. We do the good works which God prepared for beforehand that we should do them. God here is speaking to his people, those who are clearly his people, who've experienced his goodness and grace. And as a result of that, as the outworking of that, we're doing that good work that God has called us to do. We are walking in ways that are right because God has made us right with himself. But then comes the warning. Those who turn aside to their crooked ways. 
the natural way of the natural man from birth, the natural way for all of us from birth is to walk the crooked path, not the straight and narrow path. So the warning here is that there are those who there are those who turn aside to their crooked ways. Those who turn aside to their crooked ways. And we have to be careful here. This is why the book of Hebrews presents such problems for people. It is why this kind of warning, many say this is not a warning for believers. This is a warning for unbelievers. No, it's a warning for believers. Because not everyone who says, I believe, is a believer. Do you agree? Not everyone who says, I believe in God and I love Jesus is really believing in God or loving Jesus. There are many who make professions of faith, many who make professions of faith, are baptized into a church, who unite with a church, who for a season appear to be what they say they are, but then then they begin to walk the crooked ways. The graphic image used in the Bible is they are like a dog returning to his own vomit, or they're like a pig returning to the mire. Over time, their true colors show. And yet it's not strange to God. In fact, the text says here, it is the Lord. It is the Lord who will lead them away with evildoers. And God is sovereign. So those who seem to be believers that are not believers, when they begin to walk in their crooked paths, God's not shocked. And God's the one leading them away because you read 1 John and 1 John says that there were those in that church in Ephesus who were creating all kinds of problems in the church, bringing stress to the church, disturbance and distress to the church. John says this, they went out from us. They left from us to demonstrate that they were never of us. The believers in the church, the true believers needed to see who these people were. Their color showed and God permitted that. Here's how the psalm ends. Peace be upon Israel. Wholeness. That's what the word peace means, wholeness. Peace be always present upon Israel. Israel in the Bible is used in so many ways, but ultimately it's used in this way. Israel is made up of all who belong to God through Jesus Christ, Jew and Gentile, people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. May God bring wholeness to those who belong to him. And may we be rightly warned that no one can say they're a believer and not grow in the grace and knowledge of God throughout their lives as they seek to walk in holiness. May we be encouraged 
that God gives us stability, God provides for us his kind of safety, and God gives us security, and God loves us enough to warn us so that we don't take for granted ever his goodness and his grace. God, we praise you. There is that in your word, and there's so much of that in your word that is so comforting to us. But there is that that confronts us, that is deliberately designed to call us to examine our hearts. And I need both. I need that comfort, but I need that confrontation. And I thank you, Lord, that you give both in your word, that you give us assurance in the midst of warning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you for listening, and I will be doing a Christmas message most likely next week, and Send it out, and I'll see you after Christmas.